Welcome back to another episode of the Shifting Podcast. Today we're here with uh, Eric Zamara from Takara Sake. And as always, we're here with also Arthur Black as my co-host. Shanti Shanti. Who will be definitely taking the lead, I think, with a lot of questions today because I will admit my ignorance right off the bat. I know not a damn thing about shochu, which we are going to be talking all about. So welcome to the show, Eric. Uh, thanks so much, Ed. Good to be here with you. And I think Ed might have had a little bit too much to drink in the past 24 hours. Uh, 36 hours, yeah. Like 24, 36, yeah, between... That's being conservative. I mean, we started drinking about 2 p.m. Sunday in Milwaukee, and we stopped last night in Chicago around 2.30 a.m., and then got in a car at 9 a.m. this morning and drove back to Indianapolis. Yeah. Yeah. It's such a lovely drive too. A uh, lot of lot of tums and uh, <laughs> hungover windshield time. Always a good time. Yeah, yeah. We'll refer back to the uh, cocktail walk episode, and you will know why I was at tiki bars all all weekend. So, but now I'm really uh, I'm hair of the dog now, right? So I've got a glass of uh, shochu in front of me, and I'm really anxious to to learn all about it. And this is an appropriate beverage uh, because a lot of people think that this is a distillate that you're least likely to get any kind of a hangover from. It's one of the least toxic spirits out there as, as far as I know, and we'll get into that with Eric. Um, I'm super hoping it's additionally a hangover cure. <laughs> I think it'll help. You know, it's, it's 25% Ooh. alcohol. It's not, you know, too much, just enough. That smells beautiful. And it's actually very low in caloric intake, ladies and gentlemen, those of you watching your figures. Um... A beverage out there to drink when you're on a diet. Uh, but before we get started, Eric, what did you have to drink last night? Last night, a couple of beers and some shochu. Just getting warmed up for coming to Indianapolis with you guys. That's right. Eric's in from, uh, from Colorado. He's in from, uh, from Denver. And we obviously know you had a lot of rum. I had a ton of, across the board, I had some really wonderful uh, whiskey tiki drinks as well at Lost Lake. I mean, those guys just kill it, but... The most memorable thing I had last night was one of the, the plantation single barrels um, that was purchased for and bottled by Paul McGee from Reunion Island. Um, I didn't even know that was, existed out there. I was floored. Um, but yeah, they, they brought us over around to try and I was super pumped about that. I mean, that, I, I remember that one. <laughs> you know? Nice. The one. The yeah. one. Um, I had uh, a pretty heady... Uh, California cab from Lodi, just you know, booze and black fruit and tannins and big oak, and then I, I had some shochu too. So, just happened to have a whole bunch of samples of shochu. Um, Eric is in town to uh, to work the market a little bit. He does work with a, a supplier, Takara, uh, based out of uh, Colorado. How many markets you have, Eric? Yeah, I'm based out of Colorado. Our company, Takara, here in the U.S. is based in Berkeley, California, and we've been operating out of there since 1982. So we've been uh, brewing sake and distilling shochu in, in Japan since uh, 1842. Uh, we're one of the top producers of both in Japan. And in 1982, Takara had the foresight of sort of capitalizing on you know, the increase in the interest in Japanese culture. Uh, both food and drink culture, and people were starting to also realize how healthy the Japanese diet was, and there was sort of a boom, also a sushi boom. So, built a brewery out in Berkeley, California, where we now brew a lot of sake, but all of our shochu production is still uh, only done in Japan. Didn't uh, when did the '80s when that horrible song "I Think I'm Turning Japanese" came out? The Vapors. Aha! Going to wow. tribute to the Vapors, the the boom of Japanese culture in America. I love it. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but is this not one of the, uh, or if not one of, it's the highest selling spirit uh, in Japan? Uh, definitely. It's the national drink of Japan. And I think also maybe what you were referring to was the Korean version, soju, which is still the highest uh, consumption rate, I think, of any spirit in the world. Well, no, I was just thinking in Japan it's alone. Definitely. Yeah, yeah. I, I saw mm-hmm. a statistic recently. Um, I was reading about sake and it was referring to, to shochu. There's also Beijing, right. China. Yeah, well, that's like so, a worldwide thing, right? I, I, isn't that like the number one spirit worldwide? I think if you lump those three together, and they're all rice-based to some extent with some exceptions and subcategories, that you, you're definitely talking about the most widely consumed genre of spirit out there. Yeah. And then there's something from Vietnam as well that I can't even pronounce. It's 
Oh, yeah, like, sure. Brute. There's a lot of Something. accents and such in Vietnamese. I was doing a little YouTube pronunciation guide, like, again, again, again. I'm like, that just isn't going to happen. I always need that with uh, scotch as well. Oh, but, you just have to slur it with scotch. <laughs> yeah. Watch a bunch of uh, <laughs> fat <laughs> bastard. Yeah. With all the scotch trainings I've done, like I've gotten more of a kick out of like doing my best Braveheart impersonation. I knew you were going to drop Braveheart. It's one yeah, of his favorite man. films. Absolutely. It's what he listens to when he drives through Scotland. Yeah, okay, I get you. I get some motivated. It's uh, <laughs> a great soundtrack. And also when you're driving through Scotland, in Highlands, try not to hit sheep and shit. <laughs> got a broadsword in the back. So, Eric, I mean, what is shochu? Because, you know, I'm coming into this completely blind. I've been, uh, I've been rather inebriated for the last few days and didn't have as much time to prepare uh, as I usually do. So I'm, I'm going to be putty in your hands today. Well, for the first time in a long time, I can actually say it is a spirit because typically, you know, most of our business here in the U.S. revolves around sake being the much more popular drink, at least for the time being. People always tell me, oh, I love to shoot sake and it's a really interesting spirit. And I always have to tell them, no, it's brewed. Um, so shochu in its simplest form, you could, you know, think of a little bit as distilled sake, especially if it's made from rice. But it is a, uh, a, a spirit. Japanese spirit, as we talked about before, um, usually made either from rice, barley. So the rice in Japanese would be called kome, mugi is barley. And then there's also a popular category called imoshochu, which is made from, distilled from sweet potatoes. Oh, cool. And then there's also some really nice spicy variants made from buckwheat. Uh, one island in Japan also produces uh, shochu from sugarcane. So it's a little closer to rum, and it's probably, of all the shochus, that would be the most Western type of liquor and produced in Japan. Buckwheat is what, soba? Buckwheat is the soba, soba. yeah, just and like then, the noodles. Right. Um, the, the sugar cane or the, the molasses, is that um, kuratu, kurato? Good question. We don't make one as far as I know, so I don't know that one, but that's the one from uh, the Awamori. Yeah, I mean, there's a bunch of stuff that yeah. can go into, but those are the primary ones. And I, I've recently read that there's like 50 different things that can go into shochu. And it, it gets crazy from pumpkin, tomato, um, mint, aloe. And blends. And, well, and that's like kind of what I've been trying to get my mind next is like when, when they're doing blends, you know, how much of one thing, like if it's labeled uh, mugi, like how much of it has to be barley in order to be called moogie and how much other things you're allowed to add in there and i think eric can can concur that this is a spirit that a lot of people in the world consume but very few people know anything about and there are very few avenues of research right that um are in english for one i think there's only one book that's actually in english and then uh in japanese there's only about a dozen texts on it as well so mm-hmm. if you're trying to research uh shochu uh Pretty much just need to listen to this podcast, I think. That's well, it. At least as a jumping off point, I mean, just, right. to, just to follow up on what Arthur said, it's definitely a, an opaque uh, line of research. You know, I, I don't think that Japan has really focused on an export market for this product and therefore has not really funded and spent and the, and the distilleries have not spent a lot of money doing maybe what, you know, the Scots have done and other other larger spirit uh, conglomerates, you know, trying to get the message out and get people to understand. So the, the lack of texts available, the, the the communication barrier, the language barrier, so to speak, makes it a little difficult to really find out what it's all about unless you've you've grown up with it and, you know, living in, in Asia. That's exactly what I was going like, to refer to. So, I mean, you said this has been around for, this company has been around for 100 and 30, 40 yeah. years, something like that. But so, uh, you know, as using it as sake as a jumping off point, and I wanted to emphasize that you mentioned that sake is brewed. So, you know, that's obviously a big misconception um, with a lot of people when they're like, ooh, it's, you know, this sake spirit rice or whatnot. But it's, it's, yeah. it's rice beer, more or less, that you're starting off. Obviously, the processes are much, much different. Right. Um, but is this something that is just passed down like from you know master to apprentice master or historically has been and is that you think that's leading to a lack of text and information that's out there now that we're in 2017 
You know, that, that, that's certainly a good hypothesis. I think a lot of it also has to do with the fact that there really hasn't been sort of that worldwide sort of export, you know. Sure. There's been more, you know, on the Japanese side, more importing of Western culture and whiskeys and beers and wine and interest in that and not so much of an export of this part of their culture. I know, we, we know how much the export of the cuisine has been and to a, to they, a pretty large extent a lot of their also their the sake. Yeah. Domestic product, though, right? I mean, the vast majority of sake is consumed domestically, although we're like the number one market outside of Japan, yes. I would assume it's the same for shochu. Like, they consume the vast majority of what's produced. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, uh, you know, at the current time, there's definitely a growing interest we see here in the United States, uh, whether it's the craft cocktail scene or some also some dedicated shochu bars that have sprung up. But still, I would say the vast m- number of the consumers are still... Uh, you know, expat Japanese uh, people or Japanese businessmen that are here working for Toyota or Honda. We've got Honda or something here. Yeah, exactly. So so you see the pockets just like here up in Lafayette, you know, these are tremendous shochu sales for us near the Subaru plant, you know, so you see these strange pockets around the country where you wouldn't expect that some remote parts of Kentucky where there may be an automobile plant or an airplane plant, so it's it's kind of also interesting to to see how the circulation and distribution of the product is. Yeah, that is interesting. Uh, just over the past few weeks, uh, I mentioned Eric was in town to kind of work the market. We're also doing at um, at our office a trade-oriented like shochu presentation, and it's it's turned into a pretty intense immersion. And it's going to be the the Eric and Arthur Black show. Um, but as I've been researching it, like the rabbit hole goes deep. This is fascinating stuff, and it it there are a lot of parallels in sake. If anybody knows me, like there's a handful of things I love in this world. Sake is one of them, mezcal is one of them, champagne's another one, and yeah, the list goes on. Uh, yeah, I was going to say, right. if there's one thing I like here, here's the it's pretty much <laughs> It's pretty much all good alcohol. <laughs> but um, the processes involved and the, the, the cultural elements, um, it, it's ties to the Japanese culture and the Japanese culture. And, I mean, I've, I've spent a lot of time in Europe doing the wine thing, um, and you go over to Japan, and it's it's just night and day different. You spent a lot of time in Asia as well. I didn't have, have you been able to get over there a bit? No, unfortunately not. But definitely on the towards the top of my list of things to do in the near future. But you're you're also like the only round eye that works for your company. Have you told me that in the past? Or there's it's a, there's a small minority of uh, that was tall... at one point true, but uh, now there we we have more. You're um, growing. Yeah, we're we're spreading. We're, we're growing that. You know, it's it's definitely with the with the growth of the business. You know, the the. Uh, the messengers have, you know, have changed a little bit. Have other people, and how have you? I mean, I would assume just with the how old this company is that it's it's there's a very diligent like Japanese order and, and culture element to the company you're working with. Has that been a, a learning curve, like adjusting to a you know completely different set of cultural mores? I would I would say it's been an invaluable experience. I mean, especially when, when I first started at, at Takara, um, it was it was definitely an adjustment. I think the adjustment sort of went both ways, but it is just really cool to be immersed, to be living in your home country, and to be completely immersed in another culture like that, and to you know sort of see you know things through you know maybe the Japanese corporate way and and sort of a more more Asian style of doing business. And uh, I think there was a little bit of an adjustment period both ways, but it, it's been just a, a tremendous experience. How long have you been there now? Uh, in July, it'll be five years. Mm-hmm. Wow. All right. Um, so originally a New Yorker. Originally a New Yorker, now uh, hailing from Denver, yeah. Um, have you had the obvious language barrier? Have you picked up on some things here and there? Uh, you know... Because I, like, I didn't really... When I went to Japan, like I... What, I learned a couple words but usually I try and be a little bit more engaged and I totally just rolled off the, the guide just, we had. I mentioned it when we were talking with Anna Marie uh, during our last episode. I took three years of Japanese and I literally can say like, hello. <laughs> I can say hello. I can say thank you and I can say my Japanese is not good. <laughs> that, I mean it's, that's a tough language especially if it's not something you use every day. Sure. Um, you know, that's always been my problem. I use Spanish every day, and that's why my Spanish is pretty good. But, you know, when it comes to other language, French is something I'm very much interested in learning, especially as it becomes glaringly apparent with every episode that we do. I tend to drink a lot of French rum, and the places I like to go, there are native French speakers, and I, that's a tough language. You know, um... But Japanese, so Japanese makes a lot of sense. Like, if you can 
like speaking it is a little bit easier than reading it because when you get into reading the kanji, it gets very difficult. But it's I always kind of uh, say it's akin to Spanish, not English. Like if you see a Spanish word, if you know how to pronounce Spanish letters, and like you can say the words. You may not know what the hell you're saying, but you、um, can pronounce it. In totally、Japanese. different when you have a phonetic language, yeah. Right, yeah,、mm-hmm. and and Japanese is very much the same way. You know, with English, we borrowed from so many damn languages. It's ridiculous. Now, the written. Japanese is that's where I started getting failing grades, <laughs> you know, because the, the two Japanese alphabets were like, oh, I got this, and then you know all the characters borrowed from Chinese. That that knocked me out. I was like, you know what? I use Spanish at work every day. I'm gonna go back to do that. So, but there's a a classification system of shochu as well, right?、Yep. And like four classifications, like in general, like the general class. I'm, I'm reaching here because again, I'm trying to wrap my brain around this as much as all our listeners. I, I would say probably for the purposes of you know sort of an intro or what we're talking about here, I would say there are two types of shochus. Okay.、Uh, one would be korui, which is a multiple distillate, distillate, and then you have honkaku shochu, which is a single distillate. Okay. So sort of the purpose of the one is you know the 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 former is more of In line with、uh, more of neutral spirits or a vodka, they use more for cocktails and fusions, so to speak. And while you can make extremely interesting cocktails, and that'll be the focus of our seminar on Thursday,、um, the Honkaku Shochu usually made from specific ingredients, like we said before, the mugi, which is your barley, the sweet potato, the, the buckwheat, retaining more of its sort of original. Flavor through that single distillation process. So it would be a correct analogy to kind of put it into the blended Scotch, single malt Scotch analogy. I, I would look it, at it as more artesian versus more industrial. Gotcha. Okay. Okay.、Um, I would even look at it from the perspective of you have、uh, things, you know, the the single distillations. You can tease out notes maybe that would maybe remind you of other spirits like rum or tequila or、right. smoky mezcal or something. And your multiple distillates are going to remind you, you know, pretty interchangeable maybe with the vodka. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. What we, we're drinking right here is really beautiful. I, I love、yeah. the very light floral notes,、uh, like hints of melon in there. I really、uh, enjoy that. What is it exactly that we are drinking? Yeah, that is the our yokaichi kome, which is distilled from rice. So what's really cool about the rice shochus, and what can also be confusing to the nose at first, is they really throw off a lot of aromas that you would find in a sake. You know, until、yes. you get until you get it in the mouth and you start, you know, recognizing the higher alcohol. But there's an intensity of flavor. So,、mm-hmm. like, you know, very often, you know,、uh, when I do have sake, I'm like, it's. I just I'm wanting for more intensity,、mm-hmm. and it's there. Like, of course, with the alcohol as well. But yeah,、um, this is not like. 80 proof though, right? Know, what is this? How many five percent alcohol? 50 proof. Okay. Pretty pretty common in the shochu world. Yeah,、or? yeah. So so typically our honkaku shochus are 50 proof. Yeah. The the other the former category, the kuruis, the multiple distillates, they're usually they usually weigh in at 70 proof.、So、again, but those are the ones you're aiming for a cocktail or a mixer. Exactly,、right. and still it would be considered like an underproof spirit for vodka.、Mm-hmm. So, um, to me, sake as a beverage. And sake, not shochu, but sake is a beverage. It's distinctively sake-esque, but the nuances are very subtle. You'd mention you're always kind of looking for more. They're, they're, you know, the kind of aromatics you really kind of have to meditate over. And and to me, they manifest like、uh, banana, white chocolate,、uh, yogurt,、um, sometimes truffled notes, sometimes fennelly kind of notes, or things that I get in in sake. And I I pick those up. In the shochu,、uh, based on based on rice, the the kome,、uh, we also have a shochu based on buckwheat, which is what you're pouring now, Ed. Very very spicy, very kooky, peppery, rice-ish, flaxseedy. Wow, the、yeah. nose on that's、yeah. definitely a lot more earthy, more pungent.、Uh, yeah. It's going to give you a little. This is now more like smoky. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. That's so that's cool. You know, we were just when 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 we were.、Uh, Our team convened in. I swore I was not going to drink alcohol today, and I'm already on like glass number two here. Yeah, but how often do you get to taste a smatter? <laughs> never, shochu, absolutely、so. never, and I don't get this kind of、uh, lesson. No,、But、it was really wonderful. Like I was saying, like last last week we had the opportunity to convene as a as a team at our brewery in Berkeley, California,、um, and we did some classic cocktails and sort of switched out their usual base. Spirits with shochu, and it was really interesting to see how 
Tawari played in a in an old fashioned. You so know, you said like, the Tawari. This is buckwheat. This is buckwheat. There's definitely a nuttiness there that that's really sexy. So I, w- I was. But you can smell it. it if you really. I'm sorry to interrupt, but if you really get your nose in there, you can smell sort of. You could smell noodles. You know, you can. What will remind you? Because probably it's a lot of people's only yeah. experiences with buckwheat or soba right. are, are in noodles in a noodle shop. It tastes like buttered, yeah. dehydrated noodles. Yeah. yeah. Um, distillation process. Now, are we talking? Is this pot still, uh, or they, is it column still, or both, depending on the style? These single distillations are pot still. Awesome. Have to be. It, yeah. it has to be. Has to be. Okay. And then the um, the kurui. Is, is there? There's uh, a governing body continuous. in Japan that that has an there's appellation. There's a body, and then the legislation, as I understand it, and Eric can, can correct me if I'm wrong. It's, it's like the Japanese Tax Bureau, I think, is ultimately who the different articles regulating shochu run up through. Exactly. Which which has also created a lot of confusion through the years on the sake side of things with the introduction of new categories like daiginjo, which a lot of people in the United States also always equate with quality when in fact it all began as tax regulatory business and it was very bureaucratic. This is delicious. Yeah, it, it, it's cool stuff. And you, you'd ask about, uh, and I think it's, it's good to keep this elementary to a degree, and I, I, um, there are two, main, two primary categories to consider the single distillation as well as the continuous distillation but there's another type called konwa and within it two subcategories where you can blend together the single distillation and the continuous to different ratios and that's how you get four all day but right for all purposes and that's causing some confusion as well right there's a lot of confusion in the shochu world yeah and who's to say that they won't change it again soon um i think the shochu industry in a modern standpoint is, is evolving and developing as they look at export markets. Um, I think the vast majority of, of consumers in this country of shochu and Eric had mentioned earlier are, are you know probably Asian Americans, you know, a lot of businessmen and people coming over and, and working at Japanese companies. But you know, you smell these things, you look at the potential for their mixability, I think they're ripe for spreading through the bartending community. Um, I think they're they're really pretty cool and enjoyable. And I have put the whole hangover thing to the test over the past several weeks, and <laughs> you wake up all right. I'd say they really passed the test, and I and I say the same thing of sake, and it's kind of funny because when I, I won't say when the first time was that I consumed sake as far as my age at the time, but uh, I always was drawn to it because of the mouthfeel mm-hmm. and because it's just a better, nicer, cleaner kind of drunk than a lot of other things, and that actually really is true for shochu as well. Um, I, I can say that with a great degree of confidence after a lot of practice. Shochu for breakfast. Oh, I could totally do this for breakfast. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This is this is what I needed. I'm feeling a little bit better now. Yeah. Buckwheat's really cool. The um, the sweet potatoes are really cool, too. They're really root vegetable and yammy and earthy and umami. Um there are different species of, of sweet potatoes, of course. It doesn't, you know, doesn't stop anywhere. You know, we've kind of grossly simplified the process, but, you know, if you're talking about rice-based shochu, it is kind of born like sake's born. Um, there are various different rice grains that are out there that can be employed, and unlike sake, they're not necessarily all um, sake rice. Like, you can't really make great sake without utilizing sake rice. Um, you can make mediocre sake from table rice, but you can make pretty kick-ass shochu from both table rice and sake rice, and it kind of depends on which prefecture you're coming from and the regional appreciation of different grains of rice out there. So a lot of different gra- uh, grains of rice uh, that can be used. Um, the fermentation before the distillation process is an extremely complicated process that is... Uh, sort of a special thing to the sake in Japanese culture. It's called sandan shikomi, and it's the systematic feeding of yeast populations, and it's complicated. Like, it's one of the things that I won't educate on unless I have, like, visual aid, kind of like sherry. Um, I don't like talking about sherry unless I'm, I've got some stuff to back up. The audience, whoever's listening, I don't like talking about sake and now shochu without visual aids, at least at, at length. And then you get to the distillation process, and you can do the single, you can do right. the continuous. And within the single, they do something here that you don't see in a lot of other spirit productions. Um, they do something called decompression, or it's, it's a vacuum 
still. So they'll put the, the fermented mash, or what's called marami, into a still, and they will turn on the temperature to a lower temperature, create a vacuum, and they actually are able to distill, turn liquid to vapor at 122 yes, degrees. Much, much lower, You're right. Much lower, as opposed to 190-something. And it just makes for a really cool fermentation, these really light fruit uh, aromatic compounds. Very smooth. Citrus or aromatic really tease compounds. out those flavors, yeah. Yeah. And then certain things are more likely to do that than others. Like, it's my understanding that a lot of people that are doing the emo, the sweet potato, they're not necessarily doing the vacuum distillation as much as, say, someone doing barley or rice. Because um, the, uh, the um, sorry, really pretty lady just walked by and scratched my back. Um, shochu. <laughs> um, starting <Come> over. <laughs> Dry up one's glass. Kampai. But the um, the sweet potato being extremely flavorful. And I don't. Do they, is it the same thing with buckwheat? Are they not doing a lot of the vapor or vacuum distillation? That's, that, that, that's that's a good question. I think that probably varies. Specific but. to the different uh. distillery, and there's distillery preference culturally in different prefectures. What are they doing? I mean, there's 47 prefectures in Japan. Although the vast majority of shochu comes from the Kyushu Islands, uh, way down south, but north of uh, Okinawa. Um, and you have seven prefectures within that, those islands to where, you know, they're, they're making different things. Sweet potatoes in the south, rice in the north, um, soba, buckwheat in the east. So it, there's, there's a lot of things about shochu I don't think people uh, appreciate. Well, I certainly did Across didn't the board with Japanese. Appreciate it you know, sake and spirits, uh, because I personally, um, just because I work with, you know, Asian chefs and we have a couple of, uh, we have contemporary Asian restaurants and such, but uh, we have worked a little bit with Koji when it comes to the food side. Um, but that's so important when it comes down to actually getting uh, fermentable sugar with, well, anything. But when we're talking about the sake world, which obviously leads kind of into shochu, I mean, that, that is extremely important. And uh, it can be quite laborious. Am I wrong? No. Oh, oh you're right. absolutely right. <laughs> yeah, we're in the middle of a busy bar here, but uh, that's all right. He's not the quietest uh, cocktail shaker over there. No, I, I, you know, I, just to hit on a slightly different point, what, what I find so cool about shochus and you know to the novice or intermediate drinker when they see clear spirits they're expecting you know fire water high octane no way you could drink it and these you know while they may be a little bit on the lower side of alcohol weighing in a 50 proof the range of flavors is so great you know like if you put a couple of different shochus in front of someone you know from the sweet potato to the buckwheat to the rice they wouldn't be able necessarily to identify it as shochu. Right. They'd be like, yeah, it's a spirit, totally different aromas, you know, and not only that, so you can drink them neat, you can drink them on the rocks, you can put them in cocktails. So really sort of, you know, already from a visual perspective, very misleading, or uh, I shouldn't say misleading, but very interesting to the consumer because it's something maybe they're not used to because whenever they see a clear, clear distilled alcohol they always just assume it's going to be this big you know like could i possibly even drink this neat they're not putting in a category of a brown spirit and thinking that it has any you know um refined characteristics right i I would agree but i do think after the fact like if you if you have a, a decent palate um these things are so distinct that i feel pretty damn sure like there's only i haven't smelled anything that tastes like the buckwheat shochu except no. Buckwheat, buckwheat show shochu. So yeah. Although I did preface it with saying novice drinkers. Right. <laughs> yes, you did. But um, just for those listening that, you know, do savvy themselves, you know, awesome palates or whatever, you know, the, like, give me a sweet potato shochu in a blind tasting, please. Because they are very, very distinct. Absolutely. Also, we don't typically think of clear spirits as being particularly distinct. They're really worth checking out and the fact that they're only 25 percent alcohol means you can drink twice as much of them than grappa well you i feel like you could really play with these really nice clean flavors and, and the intensity of, of flavor in these spirits in the cocktail and without going overboard i mean you know like a three ingredient cocktail i just i feel like that would hit the nose in the head i think what, what i mean what kind of some of the things that you're seeing done out there with your product uh cocktail wise cocktail wise you know i see a lot of um 
things based around citrus. Um, I also see a lot of classic cocktails being reinvented. Uh, like I mentioned before, you know, we were doing a like an old-fashioned with uh, Tawari, our buckwheat uh, shochu. You know, it plays well. I think with these, because they have such nice flavor and they're pretty delicate, but very long-lasting flavor, I think it's important not to try to not overpower them. I think they would play yeah, well no, with that's certain what types I was, of bitters. Right, that's what I was know. getting at. Like, I feel like you could overpower them pretty easily, and if you, you would definitely be doing a disservice yeah. to the spirit uh, at, at that time by doing that. Would you say... Um, the mugi and the the, the kome, the, the barley and the rice are probably more suited to the citrus side of things because I think about the sweet potato and I think about the buckwheat and I'm thinking spicy and savory. And spicy, and savory, chocolatey like, maybe. Yeah, Mary that's what I was saying. Like, yeah. Maybe like some maple notes or some very... For me, it kind of reminds thing, me a little yeah. bit of like an autumn, you know. They, you get some uh, tomatoes in there. Yeah, no, yeah, no I, I think that would work well. I, th- I think one of, the, one of the things is that the barley and the rice are lighter flavors so very easily overpowered but then i think that a lot of people make the mistake thinking since they're lighter and i don't want to say neutral but compared to maybe the buckwheat and the sweet potato they have a more neutral uh aroma that people think they're more suited for cocktails because they'll go undetected and i think like you should treat them with a little more respect and tease tease their uh, uh benefits out of them and then use the bigger ones like the buckwheat and the sweet potato in like bigger like you said spicier earthy drinks and i think they you know use properly you can really play to their advantages so uh, what in your job what kind of uh what's your district or area or region that you're working well i cover essentially the from the southwest u.s from arizona nevada all the way up through michigan and okay so pretty good swath of the united states yeah, which is really nice, too, because culturally it's a pretty big swath. Cuisine-wise, it's a pretty big swath, so it makes it, uh, you know. Is there, it, what kind of, uh, uh, is there, are there anybody, are, are there anybody, jeez, I really, the amount of alcohol I've had over the last two days. That's is okay, because we're it, also not working with a teleprompter. Are there any bars out there um, that have really started to put together a, a badass shochu list that, like, that, that you've kind of hit? The, or that you've seen? I'm sure there's something out there, but that, something that you've been to. And I, like, wow, I've, seen, I've seen it around. I mean, don't, don't, don't ask me about specific names right now, but I, sure. think, I, I think the coasts um, are definitely the leaders. I think, like, for now... Surprise. Yeah. You see a little bit more of a Japanese population? Yeah, or Asian population just in general. So okay. Chicago. I think Chicago probably has a fairly decent scene, but I think when you're talking about that, you're talking mostly, you know, San Francisco and New York. Yeah. You know, San and also Francisco dedicated shochu bars, yeah. What about Seattle? Probably. I haven't been to any. I've only been to Seattle once. I can't say I I've been to Seattle quite that. a bit. I don't. There's nothing that comes off the top of my head. Definitely, uh, I see a lot of sake there. Right. Uh, but right. then again, I also have a business partner in in Seattle that is obsessed with sake. So she, that's that's where we go. She aims for the places with a good sake list. But um, I would, I would, like I said, I haven't seen it, but I think it would be a natural fit. There's definitely a, a significant. Uh, uh, Japanese and, and Asian population in Seattle. Yeah. Does um, does anybody age shochu? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right then. That's the long and the short of it. All right. That that's the long. <laughs> I think that was just the short. We have different definitions of long. Um, uh, I mean, what, so what kind of wood is being used uh, in people that are aging shochu? Because. You know, this was an interesting uh, conversation that came up with us a couple weeks ago. Uh, we tried some um, cachaca that would, had been brought in, and of course, there's no regulation on it being Agent Oak. Um, and I was really blown away by a couple of the woods that um, they had been aged in, and it just it kind of blew my mind. It's like, wow, what what could be done out there with all these other kind of woods? Uh, and so, I mean, in Japan, I mean, what uh, whatever barrels are getting. And I know there are some producers that are, you know, using French barrels, cognac barrels, bourbon, things like that. All oak, then. Oak, yeah, hundred um, percent. Well, there are other vessels out there, and then Eric could probably compound on this more than I. That are traditional, like ceramic vessels. That's exactly what I was going to say next. So a lot of the a lot of the aging is done in ceramic uh, pots, often underground. Okay. And uh, it's essentially the same thing. It's to just make them more smooth get more of the 
mild flavors out of there, sort of take away like shochu seems to at the beginning at the beginning of the aging process have more of an oily smell to it. You know, I, I noticed a little bit of like a petroly note on mm-hmm. the uh, first one, the, the, the rice. And I thought, well, maybe I'm crazy here. I don't but think any it was, of them, it was a hint. I don't think any of them are really aged more than like one to three years. Sure. Um, the ceramic vessels are allegedly a little bit more porous. So I think you get a little bit more of the oxidative handling, even in an oak barrel. Right. Um, and then they're, they, they can be pretty big. They can be upwards of 600 liters. Yeah. Something else I saw that was pretty cool, and this is directly tied to, to aging, there's actually legislation in place, I'm trying to find out the specifics of it, that um, there's an, an upper limit to the amount of pigmentation a shochu can have. And this was put in place because of lobbying efforts of scotch producers. Like They didn't want people to mistake shochu for scotch based on color. So your shochu can only be so dark um, as a result of aging in wood. So to me, that kind of reminds me, like, how would they measure that? And in beer, they measure pigmentation with standard reference method. So I've got some, some questions out to some people to see, okay, how the hell do they quantify how dark your shochu could be? Mm-hmm. But just another cool little element of, of regulation over there that's kind of different and u- uh, unique. Yeah, that would be an interesting metric to find out about. Mm-hmm. Geeky shit. Yeah, so are we seeing a, a good like growth market here in the United States with shochu because of just a little bit, I guess, not only knowledge, which we have already addressed in the beginning, that it's hard to get out there. And I mean, I'm sure that makes your job quite busy getting out there and educating, educating, educating. And the reason you're hearing Arthur uh, chiming in as much as Eric is because they're doing a uh, seminar uh, about shochu on Thursday uh, in Indianapolis. So, uh, but not only that, but like this desire now in the bar community to find the next cool thing that people haven't really played with that much yet. So, I mean, are you seeing like a growth in the market? Is it still kind of getting in, in its early stages? I, I think there's definitely a growth in sales. Um, at the moment, the growth I don't think is very robust, but the potential for robust growth is there because, you know, just like we've seen with, with other spirits, you know, the... The old is the new new. Um, and I think that we will definitely see that with shochu, especially as, you know, the craft cocktail community starts embracing uh, starts embracing it. And, and also consumers are, you know, drinking, find, discovering it, you know, at, at, their, at their favorite local restaurants, you know, drinking in need. And I think we'll definitely see some, some robust growth in the future. Yeah, I, I mean, I would... I, we've been doing this, what, for about 40 minutes, sitting down here talking, not even 30 minutes. And I'm already in my head, like, all right, well, where can I find room for this on my on my shelf? Because I think this totally. Is, I can't imagine any bar that I've ever been in where this wouldn't be right at home, regardless if you are serving all boozy bourbon drinks or whatnot. Like, I feel like there's a place for this in any cocktail program. Well, I know um, Long Branch has some shochu. Okay, and we. Uh, Long Branch is a new restaurant here in Indianapolis. It's like 22nd in Delaware. Great food, Asian kind of a theme to it. We're actually doing a sake dinner there March 21st, where I'll be at. If anyone is interested, it'll be a, a killer dinner, and it'll be sake-focused, but we're going to have some shochu um, either in the beginning with cocktails or sort of served as a and kooky intermezzo source before the final course. So... We just need to get it out there. This is largely probably an off-premise thing, right? There's probably not a lot of restaurants that are yeah. rocking out the shochu just yet here. You know, I think I think when it comes to something that at the moment is definitely sort of out there, you know, like we said before, it's an opaque thing to learn about. It's esoteric. I think the craft community and, and all the great mixologists out there, the well-respected ones, once they find the interest incorporated into what they're doing and people will access the, the spirit that way. It'll give them the opportunity then. It'll open the door to maybe explore. I, I think, you know, finding shochu on a back bar somewhere is really not going to do much justice to it. I think right. we need to get it into 
you know, into some good cocktail lists and get people working with it and get it in the hands in order to recommend it to people. I mean, it's very much a hand sell in that sense. I always think that's the best way to get the word out, though. And I mean, obviously, that's been proven time and time again by some of the greatest, like, brand ambassadors out there and guys that have, like, really hit the ground and, like, made brands. Guys like Simon Ford and, you know, uh, Angus Winchester that, like, I mean, if you've got good people behind you out there and you can convince the bartenders, like, utilize it, you know, not just say, yes, we have this thing. You know, I mean, and I understand that. I mean, I'm definitely always about rum um, and Arthur is on the wholesale side so he's not quite hand selling to the consumer the end user quite as often um, but you know we, we have to fight to get rum into people's hands especially when it comes to the things that we're passionate about like agricole you know yeah and so I totally agree with people you. are just oblivious I mean the, what most people consider to be in granted if you like something you like it and it's good to you because taste is subjective but I've always said quality is not subjective correct um, taste correct. is subjective you just might like crap um, <laughs> and that that's a sad truth but like you can't it's hard to get people who have had an, like a bad experience with an inexpensive rum to appreciate right. how awesome a really badass agricultural rum is well I, that's you know, when I talk about uh, sake to friends of mine, that's the conversation. Like, oh, I don't like sake. Oh, it tastes like paint thinner. I had a bunch well, of that. And they had it out of some sort of, you know, hot, hot yeah. uh, sake machine that they got free from the manufacturer and the, the little plastic push-button dispenser. It's like it's like a Keurig or something. Hot sake comes out. And, a sake uh, Keurig. <laughs> I mean, it uh, is. I don't know how else to explain those things. You know what contraptions I'm talking about. I know what they there. are. I know what they are. But, uh, you know, I mean, so it is hard to break down those barriers. And, and I mean, you've kind of got the double-edged sword. Not only you have, you have to do that through sake, but you have to do it with the shochu. Well, the good news, at least, you know, from, from my perspective, you know, speaking not only for the industry, but specifically for, for Takara, uh, you know, we have an incredible lineup of products and, you know, the quality is there. So... Just like with anything else, if the quality is there, you have a chance to get the consumer base for it. So, you know. Ed did touch on a couple of things. Uh, When you're talking about bartending. Pardon, I'm going to interrupt for just a moment. What's that third bottle we have on the table? That sweet potato. Would you mind passing that that this way? Ikkomon Imo. All right. By the way, if you check our Instagram feed, you can see pictures of these bottles because I'm taking one as we're sitting here. not only for uh, all of our listeners to be able to kind of seek out this shochu, but uh, for reference for myself to kind of go back and, and remember what we talked about and, and what the labels look like, because I'm, I'm serious. This is uh, not blowing smoke up your ass. This is, this is a delicious product. So you, you were talking about bartenders. You don't got to worry about perishability. You know, even though it's a lower proof, we are looking at spirit. So not that you want to sit collect dust on your bar back you know you want to make cocktails with it and, and, and hand sell it and encourage it to move um you don't have to worry about it, it going bad so that's that's definitely a positive thing and then you had talked about people consuming sake uh, at warmer temperatures or not ideal temperatures so like what's the best way to, to serve shochu just on its own the way of temperature the way of yeah, you had briefly mentioned Glasses, that you said whatever. that a lot of people I, you have, yeah. you, know, you hang out with, do a little bit of ice in there. And most people that I consume shochu with um, consume it with a couple of uh, rocks. Uh, I prefer it maybe, you know, room temperature-ish, something like I would, you know, have a nice, good whiskey neat. Um, I think the parallels are there. I think that serving temperature. There are some shochus that are, ser- that are served slightly warm. Okay. So, Lots of come. Yeah, I mean, right now, I, these you had these, I presume, in your car on the way over to, to the, to the uh, very slight show Table Nine Studios, and um, <laughs> the uh, but Table Nine Studios <laughs> here at Rook. Table Nine Studios at Rook, um, but they came in at, at probably around you know fifty five degrees, uh, which was the ambient temperature Give outside today. So yeah, I mean, I I find that to be a, a very pleasing temperature to be drinking this. Yeah, I, I, I mean, it's cellar temperature. That to me is a very ideal service temperature for so many different genres of beverage, medium, full-bodied, reds, 
full-bodied white wines, a little warm for bubbles for my taste, but most spirits, sake, you want it to be just ever so slightly chilled. Right. The body on that's really nice. It's It's totally different. I mean, going from the Tawari to the Ikoman. Uh, Correct. The Ikoman's the uh, sweet potato. That's it's, it's got a very full, rich mouthfeel. Um, and definitely moving from one to the other. I mean, the earthiness of the Tawari's, I mean, not there, but it, this this is very educational. I'm like, <laughs> it's it's so rare that I get to try a product that I'm like, I have zero reference point. It's, you know. And there are different strains of potato out there, too. So depending on where you're oh, coming from. Let's not get so deep into that. I'm, no, they're <laughs> sweeter, starchier, yeah. But that, that that's that's maybe for... Uh, so, uh, Shochu 102. <laughs> yeah, 102. Right. We can do a whole episode on Koji alone. I would love to do that as well. Koji's pretty crazy stuff. Well, you know, uh, Chef Carlos here at Rook has used Koji in, in yeah, some of his fermentations Koji, before. Right? Boy, that stuff smells funky. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, he has to order it from Japan to, to get it in. But. You can get it at some Asian markets around town. Can you? So, yeah, because uh, in talking to Long Branch doing that dinner, he's... He's dry aging uh, some meat with koji, and he was ordering it from Japan, and then he found an Asian market. Um, okay. So like Adam from there could probably help Carlos find it or whatever. But he might have already hunted it down. We I don't even remember now at this point what the project was he had working on it. Uh, I also just uh, maybe a couple weeks ago watched the Birth of Sake on Netflix. Oh, I haven't seen it. Very cool. Um, I was confused for a little while because I mean the first 15 minutes there's literally there's no subtitles. There's no like real talking. All, only talking is in Japanese, and it's just literally the operations of uh, of a sake uh, brewery, and it's fascinating. I, I mean, I feel like you really don't even need the audio in it. Just watching the process was very. They still kind of go back and do things the old school way. The ones that they highlight highlighted in this documentary. So, I mean, it's all being done by hand, and the the massaging of the. Koji into the rice. And oh, it, it's it's intense uh, to to stand in a cooter and watch those guys do what they do. And for for those that might not be familiar with koji, koji um, is a type of mold, and it's a mold that is inoculated onto rice. Rice has carbohydrates, complex carbohydrates, starch, but they're not fermentable. So they have to do something in order to get the unfermentable starches into fermentable sugars, specifically glucose. And they do this in other things, like uh, in, in tequila and agave uh, cultivation and, and processing. They take inulin, which is a polysaccharide, and they convert it into fructose via sacrification with barley, maltose into glucose and, and fructose. Well, with um, rice and sake and shochu, they put on this mold, and this mold will um, create... Uh, glucose and then yeast will come along and we'll be eating the glucose and turning it into alcohol and this happens not in a linear um, progression like most other things but it it happens parallel so they call it a multi-parallel fermentation or or sandan shikomi where you're creating your koji you take your koji you add it to unkoji rice as well as water and yeast and you create a, a yeast starter called shubo and then that'll get added to a batch where they'll add more water, more koji, more unkoji rice, and more yeast. And then they do that over the course of several weeks. And it's just a mind-blowing process to understand and to actually articulate it. And I can tell I haven't had that much to drink today. You've because done a pretty good job. Yeah. I thought. I, yeah, I got through that. No, so you I was, said I you was waiting are... for you to hang yourself there, but did not happen. Yeah. That was really good. <laughs> <laughs> on a rare day. You said you guys are brewing sake in California and in Japan. We are. So the shochu, is that being... The shochu is, is exclusively distilled in Japan. Okay, that's what I was going to get at. Um, it, I, I also wanted to ask you about the yeast. Um, are you guys using a sort of like wild yeast, or is there a particular strain? Or That's a really good question. I would say that's... Uh, mostly proprietary information ah. as with a lot of things I'm in saying, Japanese every time I ask that question I'm get told the same thing no but I, I, <laughs> I, 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 th- I think that's definitely very true in, in Japanese sure. both distillation and brewing culture um, it's very different from you know the US uh, craft beer industry right. and the uh, 
all the tech sheets or having worked on the fine wine side, everybody's very happy to tell you exactly what's spent where and how much this, you know, our tech sheets are a little bit shorter. Well, that's interesting, though, because that, that's a something that's, you know, very different uh, culturally, you know, um, just between like how things sell here and versus how things sell in Asia. Um, it's just not readily available information, but they're just like there are certain yeast strains that are appropriate for sake um, that are oftentimes sourced through Brewers Association. There are also certain yeast strains that are used for shochu, um, and there's you know an association for shochu producers as well. I think a lot of people are playing around with isolating their own ambient yeasts, and then other people will use some of the yeasts that are more embraced, and then um, other people have their own proprietary. Uh, yeast uh, that have already isolated an ambient yeast. So, uh, at least the information I've seen is, eh, depends. So after 45 minutes of talking about this, we can kind of go right back to the beginning and say, we don't really know anything for sure, <laughs> and this is going to be the best information you get in English. <laughs> Pretty much. So we all need to learn how to speak Japanese. That's, that, that's pretty good. You can skip over uh, all the Wikipedia entries. We've given <laughs> right. you that and a whole lot more. And one thing I can definitely tell you for certain, the yeast is not coming from my beard. <laughs> well, it might be <laughs> coming from mine. My hey, wife was over here a, a little while you ago. You removed your little Viking beads in your beard, man. Oh, man. and I got The beads are a little work to get in there uh, when you have the headache that, you, that I had this morning. So... I wasn't well, you messing do that with daily? You don't leave them in there? Uh, I did last night, but um, when I woke up, one of the beads had slipped out. So um, You don't wake up and I got a bead in your nostril or something? <laughs> yeah, you've been wearing Viking beard, beard rings. So today I got Ed, and I didn't get a Ragnar Ed. <laughs> you did not, no. <laughs> awesome. I can't wait till oh, tomorrow. It's, dri- it's driving my wife crazy, man. She's she's like, can you just stop wearing those? It's embarrassing. Oh, it's such an like, awesome show. So you've been talking about this show for so long. Here we go. As we warned you, Eric, we very often get off topic. We You've been talking about it for, what, four seasons now? Mm-hmm. And I... <clears throat> so... How I came to that and the beard rings was completely had nothing to do with that show. Um, I had read this really interesting article about some of the uh, Norse mythology that had made its way into the mythology of Santa Claus right. and Christmas. And I put that up on social media several months ago. And I, I wasn't really familiar with the website, um, but you're going to throw it out there right now because it's, it's a great site, uh, Grimfrost. Uh, dot com, which dangerous site. It's awesome, but I also found out that one of the uh, partners or investors with Grimfrost is the singer of Amana Marth, a uh, great Viking metal band. But um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, mean, I mean, I'm a huge fan of Amana Marth. But regardless, um, so I was on there and I was like, okay, the I, I'm, I got obsessed because, like you said, there, it's a dangerous website. I'm looking at this stuff. I want to buy it. I don't know what the hell to do with it how to put it in how one wears beard rings so I was like you know what I forgot Arthur is always talking about that show Vikings I'm going to watch an episode and just kind of like check it out because you know when I did a Google image search it showed several photos from that from that show and alas you've started your axe collection oh no I'm done like I mean no I have not but he Arthur does have I've got one axe. growing yeah he's got one growing no I do not but I want my one episode that I watched three weeks ago when my rings came uh, from Grimfrost I now have one episode left period like I've already yeah, I've plowed wow, through all four, four, four seasons, seasons yeah. three weeks. that's, yeah. that's I, awesome I just couldn't stop I mean they're only 45 minute episodes uh, when you cut the commercials Lagatha. out I, oh man she's Ooh, so what a beautiful hot. woman oh my god so now we now this is no longer a show two episode. Now we're going into no- this is now entertainment, Viking, some <laughs> Norse mythology. You know. We actually stayed on point pretty well today. We didn't deviate that much. As we drink a lot less. Well, today. Yeah, yeah. I've had a pretty sober day until now. Well, I was excited a little bit about you know going up north to Milwaukee, and uh, I didn't get a chance to actually hit. Um, the bar that Nick Kosovich, uh, one of our previous guests from Bittercube, um, their partners in or whatnot, but he had introduced the idea of this Nordic tiki. And I was like, that, that makes no sense at all. But as he explained it, it 
made a hell of a lot more sense with Aquavit and stuff that's still being used and uh, up north very much so and works in Tiki and like, oh, I've got to do this. But, you know, we were we were occupied with uh, South Seas Tiki, so we never made it that far. Yeah, next thing you know, you'll be having a crawfish festival at the restaurant in August. Oh, yeah, yeah. We need to do a, we need to do a Japanese tiki. That's what we need. Mm. I mean, it's actually geographically a hell of a lot closer to, the, uh, to Polynesia than Indianapolis is. Mm. Um, I don't know if you already mentioned this, Eric. Uh, are there places around town in Indianapolis where people can get these brands? You know, you would probably know that better than than I do. I think here in, in Indianapolis, um, definitely some of the retailers. Uh, right. I, I, I don't think there's much on-premise or, or restaurant bar action uh, with Shochu right now, but uh, that's a big component of what we're doing on Thursday. Uh, the seminar is trying to also spread the word and get people excited about utilizing it in their in their bar programs and I'll taking ownership what. of it because it's really cool and Indianapolis could be one of the places that's on the cutting edge of a really new trend. We're going to kick it off, man. I mean, I'll tell you, I, I'm behind it already right now. Just the, just the, uh, the rice, the buckwheat, and the uh, sweet potato that I've tried here during this. Some um, of these would make sense for Rook. Uh, all of for them sure. make sense for everywhere. Not, you know, I, I think the inclination is always to take a, an Asian spirit and put it into an Asian restaurant. But I mean, these are applicable across the board. I, I feel like there's there's not a single cocktail bar or even a restaurant bar's uh, cocktail program that couldn't utilize some of these flavors. I'm really, really into that Tawari. Me too. I, I, I absolutely <laughs> love it. I think it's one of the funkiest, most unique things out there. But to your point also about utilization in the restaurant, I mean, you know, there's always two components of that. The one is, um, and it's it's something that I always try to incorporate in, in when I do sake trainings or sake dinners. I really try to stay away from using Asian ingredients. I want people, everybody's eating sushi. Everybody knows that it pairs well. I want to see people like incorporating into their regular day-to-day life, which usually is not sushi every day. And it's, right. you know, it's yeah. not natto every day and, you know, and, and ramen and, and things of that nature, or, you know, people are not uh, doing shiso and yuzu every day. So, I, and I think it's the same with the shochu. I mean, I would love to see people utilizing it in a American cocktail sort of way, and then also playing with it with Asian ingredients. I think people need to see it both ways in order to eventually fully embrace it and bring it into the fold as a mainstay in well, our uh, in our world. It's a presentation and appreciation of how shochu is distinctively Japanese, but shouldn't be confined to Japanese culture, Japanese cuisine. You know, Japanese everything else. Well, again, it's the globalization of spirits. You know, and, and in 2017, now you know we've got. You know, you can get anything that you want at any time at any place in the world as long as there's somebody's willing to buy it. So, um, I mean, we're certainly willing to buy it, and I would love to start playing with it. But, uh, you know, the education—that's going to be the tough part. Um, That—that—that's your—that's on your side. It always is, and you guys perfectly distilled down what I just said. (laughs) Well, we appreciate you coming on today, but before we leave, we always ask one final question. Which we might have answered already. Right, with the shochu. <laughs> the, uh, do you have any hangover cures that you can recommend to our listeners? Hangover cures? Other uh, than shochu, which other, other I, than- I can now attest to because I didn't feel so great when we started this episode, but I'm feeling fine now. <laughs> other than shochu? No, no, just a lot of water and usually, you know, some herbs and, and uh, maybe some greasy foods and... Herbs. That's, a, that's about that, it. There's a true Colorado right, right there. <laughs> Which you're about only and lots about. of vitamin C and magnesium. Magnesium is always key. Alcohol really depletes magnesium. So make sure you're taking, if you're drinking regularly, make sure you're taking a good magnesium supplement. My, my hangover kit is getting larger and larger every time we ask yeah. this question. Yeah. Magnesium. You know, that, that originally thistle. was one of the reasons that bars served nuts. Eventually, it became because they salted them and it got you drinking a lot. Mm-hmm. But the original reason for bar nuts is nuts are high in magnesium, would mitigate the effects of alcohol. Fascinating. Mm-hmm. Well, that goes into the kit next time. Nuts. Although I was uh, I was praised for my hangover cures this weekend because there was a gentleman that was with us and he he was in pretty rough shape and he had just as much as I had. And I said, I've got a, I've got a regimen, man. 
it's you, you just have to plan ahead. <coughs> you have to set everything up on your night table, you know, before you go out drinking. <laughs> and Otherwise, not just a bottle of water. Because I woke up Sunday, I'm sorry, Monday morning, and I don't know what the fuck happened in my room, but like, literally, I had taken my duffel bag and just I don't know what I did. I, I, it looks like I just unzipped the top and then spun around and let everything just fly across the room. <laughs> gremlins. It's gremlins. <laughs> yeah. But uh, no, that's great. I mean, magnesium, that's, that, that goes in the kit for next time. That's for sure. It's not going to hurt. That's, that's, that's for sure. So, and it's not too expensive either. Nah. Well, this was awesome. Um, I mean, Arthur and Eric, thank you so much because, uh, you know, I came in really not knowing a damn thing about it. And I'm leaving with just enough knowledge to start a new obsession to become dangerous yeah not quite dangerous yet but i can i i, I can definitely see this becoming a very very deep rabbit hole um so again if anybody's interested in uh, learning more about this um we're going to try to put some info out there um on our website over the few next few months but definitely check our instagram feed we're um shift drink podcast on instagram and facebook and on twitter we're shift underscore drink I really, I'm having a hard time remembering any of these things right now, but uh, you want to give me shout outs to the company you work for? Yeah, or? thank you, thank you. Yeah, I'll give a shameless plug to Takara Sake. Um, you can visit our US website at www.takara, spelled T as in tango, A-K-A-R-A, sake, S-A-K-E.com. Again, that's www.takarasake.com, and you'll find a lot of information about our sakes on there and some really cool history not only about the company but about sakis and shochus in general and uh, you'll be able to see our full product line up there thank you so much uh eric zamara ladies and gentlemen he's been the one here helping you out and arthur yep that was awesome cheers come everybody come pie come pie